0: Many early-stage colorectal cancers present with no symptoms whatsoever, meaning you can feel fine, no pain, no bleeding, no weight loss, and have an early-stage colon cancer. And that's why screening is so important, not only to prevent cancer by removing precancerous polyps, but to detect it early if it's there so it's curable.
1: This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and today our guest is Dr. Daryl Gray. Daryl is a gastroenterologist and a colorectal cancer specialist, and he's also the deputy director of the James Center for Health Equity. Today, Daryl will fill us in on colorectal cancer, what it is, how it can be prevented through screenings, new treatments that are saving lives, and the fact that the number of diagnoses for colorectal cancer is actually on the rise, which is an alarming trend. And since I have an expert on hand, I'll ask Daryl for a second opinion on the results of my own recent colonoscopy. Welcome back to the podcast, Daryl.
0: Thank you very much. Glad to be here.
1: Darrell, let's start with the basics of colorectal cancer and the fact that it's not one type of cancer, but it's actually two. So, give us the rundown on the two types of cancer, the differences, and why this is is a a, a cancer that's, that's
0: impacting a lot of people. Oh, yes. So, colorectal cancer includes two cancers, colon and rectal. And when I talk about the colon, I'm talking about the large intestine. And so... A cancer that could involve the rectal rectum is a rectal cancer, and the cancer that involves the colon only is a colon cancer. But they tend to be grouped together in what we call colorectal cancer. And the reason that this is such an important topic that you bring up today is because it's a third most commonly diagnosed cancer amongst men and women in the United States, and unfortunately, it's a leading cause of cancer death in the United States. But it doesn't have to be, and, and We'll talk about some of the screenings that prevent uh, this cancer from happening.
1: I, I, I did a little digging before and, and saw that there's about 145,000 diagnoses a year and about 51,000 deaths. And yes, you're right. That's that's way too high. And it's preventable. Yeah, that's largely. the amazing thing that, well, you'll get into it more, that that the screenings we're going to talk about mm-hmm. can detect it before it's cancer and it can be cut out and People will never have to go through cancer and, and just say, thousands of lives can be, can be saved. So, so let's start with that. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows about, has heard about mm-hmm. colonoscopies mm-hmm. and there's these new things on the market where you can do it at home. Yeah. So what do you tell people? What do you recommend about the screenings, about mm-hmm. these new home tests? Mm-hmm. What should people be aware of and know?
0: well, um, first of all, screening saves lives, and so that's one of the things that I start with it 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 literally saves lives and when we think about um what screening does, and there's multiple forms of screening, I don't talk about those um but it's you know it's it's a way, and when we look at the data as far as how we have experienced a decline over the past three or so decades in cancer deaths from colorectal cancer. Um, It's largely because of screening. And we have for screening, we have stool based tests. So I've been getting a lot of questions recently about um, one that is heavily advertised called Cologuard, which is a multi-target stool DNA test. Um, there's also what we call FIT testing, which is fecal immunochemical testing. And there's fecal occult blood testing. So I group those into the forms of really cancer detection tests, and that's a form of a screening test. And then there are other direct visualization tests. That's where colonoscopy falls in. So, so those first two... Mm-hmm. They
1: can only determine once you have cancer. Well, or I, or is, is that not true?
0: Yeah, let me expand on that. So, um, if we look at both fecal immunochemical testing or uh, uh, FIT testing, and we look at Coligar, which is the multi-target stool DNA testing, those look for abnormalities in the stool. So, FIT will look for blood hemoglobin in the stool um, that uh, uh, that will alert the healthcare provider. Uh, that uh, there's an abnormality there, and it, it may be cancer, but it may not be. It could be a very large polyp that is shedding blood. Alternatively, there's the ColaGuard, the multi target stool DNA test. Again, another home based test um, that actually looks for abnormal DNA and blood in the stool. Um, and again, that can be, it's great for detecting cancers. And so that's very helpful. That can be very helpful for detecting early-stage cancers. And the reason that's important is because um, uh, when caught early, colon cancer is largely curable. Before it's metastasized and spread. Exactly. And so it's great at detecting cancer and okay at at detecting precancerous polyps. But when we talk about trying to identify and remove precancerous polyps, The gold standard, I would say, is the colonoscopy, and that's because um, it allows you to look at the entire colon, identify even small lesions, and be able to remove them right then and there. And so, in essence, by removing, for example, a polyp that may be precancerous, an adenoma is a type of precancerous polyp, um, you can prevent you know, a cancer from developing years down the line. But there are also other visualization tests like flexible sigmoidoscopy where you're looking at only half of the colon or a CT colonography or what what people have called a virtual colonoscopy where you're getting a CT scan that can identify polyps. But the important thing for people to know, if you get a CT scan that finds a polyp, if you get a flexible sigmoidoscopy that finds a polyp, if you get a stool-based test, Cologuard or FIT testing, that identifies an abnormality, the next step in evaluation is always going to be the colonoscopy.
1: And so if, again, don't they recommend starting at a certain age, I believe 50, you get the colonoscopy?
0: Well, I'll tell you, it's, you know, one of the things that we as providers definitely have to do a better job of is offering choice. And because we know when we offer people choice, they are more likely to get a a form of screening test.
1: That's true. Not everyone has the health insurance and the financial means sure. or, or the availability of a place to get the gold standard colonoscopy.
0: Certainly. And, and, you know, there are also, you know, stigmas and fears that people have in regards to it. So we have to be sure, we have to be clear that as healthcare providers, primary care or specialty providers, we are informing people, helping them to make informed choices about screening tests and giving them choices. The um, other thing, you asked a question about the age. So that's an interesting question because in May of last year, May of 2018, the American Cancer Society recommended that the age of uh, initiation of screening actually be decreased from age 50, which was the kind of traditional mantra for average-risk individuals, to age 45.
1: For everyone? or For for
0: everyone. And not just high-risk people. That's exactly right. So age 45 for everyone. Now, with the caveat that... The United States Preventive Services Task Force, which is an agency that creates the guidelines or creates one of the guidelines in regards to colorectal cancer screening and that informs insurance companies on decisions around this, still has it at age 50. So that's important for people to know because their insurance may not cover it at age 45, particularly being average risk.
1: So what happens if your insurance company doesn't cover it?
0: Well, then they have a choice to make. The choice can be, you know, paying for it out of pocket or with some form of copay or um, to do, again, a stool based test that they may have to pay, you know, as opposed to a colonoscopy or to postpone it uh, unless they develop either or have a family history they didn't know about and then can report or have symptoms that warrant an earlier evaluation.
1: And again, this is some these are decisions you should be making. A person should be making in conjunction with their primary care physician,
0: absolutely based on
1: family history, based on financial means what 's
0: available, all those variables absolutely. This is a discussion, and it has to be a discussion with uh, informed healthcare provider. The other thing I want to return to, particularly as we talk about screening and screening age, one thing that's um, that a lot of people that I talk with in the community are not aware of is that um, guidelines do approve screening at age 45 for African Americans. And uh, that is because, particularly this was something that was pushed by the American College of Gastroenterology um, years ago, and this is because we know that African Americans typically present younger and at a later stage of colon cancer. And so it's very important that particularly African Americans uh, come in at age 45. Now, albeit the American, like I said, American Cancer Society lowered the age for everyone.
1: Now, why, why is that, since you brought that up, that mm-hmm. certain groups, African-American men and women, mm-hmm. I think, but especially men, are more prone to certain types of cancer? Is it a genetic thing? Is it, is, why is that? Yeah.
0: So certainly biology plays a role. But there are other things that influence our biology that is important to know. And that's what we call social determinants of health. So this has now become a buzz term, but basically refers to the conditions in which we live, work, and play, and pray, and, um, you know, thrive throughout our lives. So as I think about social determinants of health, I think about those who— you know, are for example, may not have a safe playground to play on, and go on to develop you know obesity over time for other other influences, which obesity is a risk factor for colon cancer. I think about those who don't have um, a healthy grocery store nearby, and food deserts, that you food hear deserts about in certain exactly. urban centers, so food or insecurity rural areas, yeah, exactly, food insecurity or only exposed to high fatty foods, high salt foods, again. Another risk factor for developing colon cancer. So we have to think about the conditions in which people are growing up that put them at risk. And so that influences part of what we're seeing with African-Americans. Again, biology, but there are things that influence our biology. Poverty influences our biology because of the conditions that poverty uh, creates as well.
1: We'll get into that later, but I know you have a program to specifically address this. Yes. But we're going to take a quick break now, and when we come back, we'll talk a little more about screenings and then get into some of the treatment options and how they've improved, and then we'll also talk about the disparity issue in this uh, clinic that you and some others here at the James have developed to reach out to people who may not otherwise have access to colonoscopies.
0: Yes, I'm excited. Let's do it. A revolution in lung cancer treatment is happening at the James. We're
1: proving lung cancer isn't solely defined by location and stage, but rather the individual molecules and genes that drive it. Simply put, there is no routine lung cancer. That's why our world-renowned specialists put their expertise towards treating one particular lung cancer, yours. At The James, we go beyond the routine to prevent, detect, treat, and cure your lung cancer. To learn more, call 1-800-293-5066. We're back with Daryl Gregg talking about colorectal cancer. And we just talked a lot about screenings. And I know there's a lot of misconceptions and and myths about uh, colonoscopies. What do you hear when you're out in the public talking to people? And what do they say? What do they ask you?
0: You know, it's... It's not uncommon that I'm in uh, pu- the public and or in the community and people say, you know, Doc, I haven't seen a doctor in 15 years or I've never seen a doctor. You know, I'm healthy. I try to eat well. I try to exercise. I don't think I need screening. Uh, the truth of the matter is when you're age eligible, when you turn age 45 or 50, particularly if you're average risk. Now, if you're, you have a family history sooner than that, but you need to be screened. And uh, that's because, you know, people commonly associate cancer with symptoms, and it can be associated with symptoms, but certainly many early-stage colorectal cancers present with no symptoms whatsoever, meaning you can feel fine, no pain, no bleeding, no weight loss, and have an early-stage colon cancer. And that's why screening is so important, not only to prevent cancer by removing precancerous polyps, but to detect it early if it's there so it's curable. Boy, that's a great point because
1: certain types of cancer like colorectal you're not going to have those symptoms that you mentioned until it's a a later stage where it may really be dangerous and it may have a metastasize and it's so much harder to treat. That's right. And that, I guess sort of brings us to that something I brought up at the beginning, which was my own colonoscopy. (laughs) I think it was three months ago. And, uh, I'm, I think I'm an example of someone. I do see a doctor regularly, but I'm in very good health. I mm-hmm. exercise. My weight's uh, okay.
0: Yeah, but <laughs> I you're, eat, you're I eat. about to bike 800 miles in France or so. so. Yeah, so, so <laughs> I, 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 I'm in pretty good
1: shape, but, but I did have my colonoscopy, and they found something. So here, I, I have mm-hmm. the report,
0: so you tell me what it means. So just so the listeners know, he literally just handed me his uh, <laughs> pathology results, Um so, yes. Yeah, so, it demonstrates that you have uh, you had one tubular adenoma removed, and you had something else removed that looked like a polyp, but it's normal colon mucosa. So, you had one precancerous polyp, a tubular adenoma, and it's recommended, and the person that wrote the letter to you uh, appropriately recommended you come back in five years, because that's based on the size, number, and type of polyps you had. Again, you had one um, small... So a, so low-risk tubular adenoma. And so you would come back in five years for your next colonoscopy.
1: Well, that low-risk adenoma, eventually that would, could, I mean, not definitely, but could have become colon cancer?
0: Certainly. And um, it could have. And typically we, you know, certainly certain polyps behave differently and everybody is different. But the, one of the mantras has been, you know, about 10 years from normal mucosa or normal colon to cancer or very tiny kind of precancerous cells to development of cancer. And so certainly if that had been in there for years, it possibly could have turned into cancer.
1: That, that's a little bit of a sobering thought to know mm-hmm. that there was something in my body that had a very good chance of becoming uh, colon cancer. So that's Whew, I'm glad I had that colonoscopy. No, no and
0: absolutely, and you and you are like you said. You pointed out that you are, you know, you try to eat well. You're obviously very active. You biked in Peloton. You're about to have a, a long biking trip come up, um, and so you know, uh, colorectal cancer, as with many cancers, is no respecter of person, and so that's what makes screening so important. All right, so I'll,
1: I will be back in in five years, and and thanks to your colleague, uh, Philip Hart, who who yes. did it and was was great. Uh, if you can call a colonoscopy, great. I don't know about that. But um, actually, speaking of that, when describe to people the actual procedure of a, of a colonoscopy, what you, what you see and how you can, in, in the case yes. of Dr. Hart with me, what, and how you remove a precancerous polyp.
0: I'll tell you, the most common thing that happens, and I was doing colonoscopies yesterday, is a patient wakes up from their colonoscopy and says, have you started yet? And I'm already done. <laughs> You know, um, the most challenging part of a colonoscopy is the day before. I knew you were going to say that. Taking yes. the bowel breath. Yeah. And so that's, that's something that's done to cleanse out the colon so the person doing it can see very well throughout the colon, identify even the most minuscule of changes within your colon. And the actual day of the test, you come with a companion because they we give you medicine to make you comfortable and sleepy. You're usually able to breathe on your own, and you're comfortable, you know, for the 20 to 30 minutes that the colonoscopy is happening. And then you wake up and, in most cases, don't remember anything about it. Um, I and, have some vague yeah.
1: memories of him talking to me, but I don't remember all the details. Yeah. Yeah, so so it's, it, you're right. So the, the night before mm-hmm. it is it's not terrible but you just want to be close to your home base oh yeah and the day of is is pretty yeah e- it's easy
0: it's a pretty smooth day and um you know it's it's very low risk as far as complications and most people after the colostomy, they're able to go about their day, obviously being mindful that they were sedated and shouldn't operate heavy machinery, (laughs) be driving their car, make any major life decisions like buying a house, for example. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they feel well. Oh, now you tell me not to buy a house.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you're looking through a monitor and you can see the inside of the colon and you can see along the walls any
0: imperfections, any polyps, any bumps, any what? What do you see? That's that's exactly right. Um, it's it's almost like a video game. And sometimes patients are nervous because they say, I don't want anybody to look at my behind. Well, the truth is I'm not looking at your behind. I'm looking at a screen the entire time. Yeah. I'm using, uh, uh, maneuvering the camera with one hand, uh, my right hand, and maneuvering. Um, How that camera moves with a controller in my left hand, basically. And I'm looking straight at a screen that allows me to see, you know, up close um, minor kind of changes in the lining of the colon to identify polyps, which almost look like little bumps sometimes um, that I can remove. Because we've seen, I've seen your
1: inflatable
0: colon. It's like, oh, yeah. what is it? Twenty feet long? <laughs> yes, ten and feet it, high, twenty feet long.
1: And it shows you the the like the different steps. This is a mm-hmm. small precancerous polyp. There's a bigger one, a bigger, one. and then there was mm-hmm. a huge cancerous Cancer. one. So that's that's kind of again another sobering reminder of what can happen inside your body.
0: You know, I'm so glad you brought that up. We have at the Center for Cancer Health Equity an inflatable colon that we take out into the community, multiple community. To multiple community events. We were just at the African-American Male Wellness uh, Walk in Columbus recently, and um, it's very eye-catching. You know, this large inflatable colon. Yes, people are drawn to it. But it's Mm -hmm. also a great educational tool. Um, You know, it's, it's always... Uh, touching for me to see people's wheels turning as they're walking through this and people are educating them on the importance of colon health and cancer screening. And then when people come out on the other end and said, you know what, I need to call my doctor now this week to make sure I can get, get in for a colorectal cancer screening. So it's a powerful tool. I, I've been at
1: an event with you and I've literally heard people say that to you. They
0: yeah. come out and
1: they say, I, nev- I, ne- I, would, I thought I'd would be too embarrassed i didn't want to talk about (laughs) it but seeing this i'm calling my doctor Mm -hmm. it's peace of mind that's right and and as i now know (laughs) for the next several years so um let's talk a little about new treatments i know immuno-oncology immunotherapy is a huge new advance in uh treating many Mm -hmm. kinds of cancer what are some of the advances in that area and others in in treating uh colon and rectal cancer
0: so traditionally, colorectal cancers have been treated with surgery, chemotherapy, and or radiation.
1: So the surgery is you cut out pieces of, of the col- sections of the colons in, in some case, which can be pretty disruptive for a person's life.
0: That's right. Depending on the location and the size, yeah. uh, surgery, you can remove parts of the colon and connect them back together depending on where it's located and if it's spread or not. Um Immunotherapy is an exciting new advance. And really, to put it simply, it's really trying to help the immune system to both your native immune system to both recognize and then destroy cancer cells. And so that's um, an exciting new advance for us um, um, for those of us who are, you know, trying to help people get cured of cancer Um, and and so particularly as I think about things that are happening here at The Ohio State University and we talk about what's happening at the James uh, Cancer Hospital, we have a new Institute for Immuno-Oncology and I expect that uh, therapies for colon and colorectal Cancer will be uh, part of this as well.
1: Are there currently immunotherapy treatments for colon cancer?
0: There are for advanced colon cancer. For advanced colon cancer, there are immunotherapies available. And again, this is exciting because it's uh, for people who have either failed chemotherapy, failed surgery, maybe had a recurrence. This is an option for them. You know, there was a time when there was. Really, no, op- no, to limited options, and so for many of our patients, uh, this is very exciting advance.
1: And and that's that's interesting because in, in talking to others about immunotherapy, perhaps sometime in the future, rather than it being the second or third treatment after others have failed, eventually it could become the first line of treatment, and because it's that much more effective.
0: And and actually, that's a good point. Um, for some advanced cancers, that is a first line. So. Um, this is, again, this is a, a revolution in research, a revolution in the treatment of patients with colorectal cancer and other cancers. Um, but, yes, yeah, certainly an exciting time for all of us.
1: When uh, colon or colorectal cancer metastasizes and spreads, is mm. there any specific uh, locations or locations yeah. that it tends to go to?
0: It tends to go to the liver, the lungs, and the brain. Mm, it could okay. certainly spread other places, but that's where we see it most commonly
1: and obviously the more areas it spreads to the more complicated and harder it is to
0: treat it that's management can be difficult both symptoms but also managing the cancer itself and the prognosis
1: again it always keeps always seems to keep going back to let's catch it either, early earlier even in precancerous polyp stage that's right and, and so that that brings me to the um, this clinic that you have every march that i visited uh Two years ago, I think, yeah, yeah, in which uh, people from the community who, for whatever reasons, don't have health insurance or don't uh, just can't afford Mm -hmm. colonoscopy, the James has a program for them. Tell us about this program.
0: Yeah, this has been an exciting program that really has been a huge team effort with folks from the James, um, both program managers, even research staff. um, Our executive director at the Center for Cancer Health Equity. Um, program directors, I think about patient navigators have been involved in this, but also on the medical center side, our docs who are doing the colonoscopies, uh, nursing staff, technician staff. So it's a huge team effort, but what this is, it's part of what's called the PACE program, or Provider and Community Engagement Program for Health Equity and Colorectal Cancer Prevention. And this has now been a nationally recognized program. Uh, We've received several awards from the American College of Gastroenterology, the National Colorectal Cancer Roundtable, Part of this program is what we call Screening Saturdays, which is where you came. And this is where people who are uninsured and underinsured uh, can be provided cancer sc- colorectal cancer screening service, particularly colonoscopy. And so this has been a huge um, effort and a huge success in large part to the buy-in and support from our med center leadership, our cancer center leadership as well.
1: So when I was there and you introduced me to one of your patients... Yeah he had uh i don't remember the exact amount but yeah. he had a couple uh large yes. precancerous polyps removed that de- that you were very certain were going to become cancer you pre- i mean this is amazing you're preventing people from getting cancer like d- dozens of
0: them yeah the, so that example that gentleman did have three what we would consider advanced Adenomas because of the size and the histology of it, um, and certainly that's something that would have gone on to uh, turn into cancer. And when in our first year of having the program, we did find an early stage rectal cancer, and that person underwent surgery. And so, you know, this is this program has been helping and saving saving lives. We hope, and it's something that we continue to get support from the Med Center and the James for, and, and for that we're very thankful.
1: I, I think Pete, you're a little uh, modest, and I just want people to know that, as Deputy Director of the James Center for Health Equity, Daryl is a great champion here in the central Ohio and beyond community addressing the issue of of uh, health and cancer disparity and creating these types of programs and you have a uh, conference every yes. winter that you bring experts from all over the country to discuss how we can do this even better, how we mm-hmm. can reach more people. And obviously, your expertise is colorectal cancer, mm-hmm. but it it reaches out to every type of cancer and all kinds of dis, uh, different ethnic socioeconomic uh, groups of people who sometimes don't get That's right. uh, the resources and care they need.
0: That's right. And we so we have a wonderful team uh, that helps us in the Center for Cancer Health Equity and with the PACE program. And yes, they are boots on the ground in the community, whether it be going to a mosque or a church to talk about colorectal cancer prevention, whether it's taking the inflatable colon out into the community, whether it's partnering with different primary care practices and coming in and talking about the latest in colorectal cancer screening, or whether it's having the conference that we have usually every spring, our cancer health equity conference to talk about multiple topics, including colorectal cancer, but talking about an array of, of cancer uh, topics as well. So we try to keep our finger on the pulse of what's new and what's innovative um, and really adapt that to our population here, um, and particularly the underserved and vulnerable population that may not have access to this information and certainly may not have access to the services otherwise
1: what What drives you to do this to care so much for all these thousands or if not millions of people who you've you 'll never meet
0: uh, you know <laughs> that's a question I usually can can predict how you'll think Steve, but that wasn 't a question I was <laughs> expecting um, you know to just, just be completely transparent i i think it's um I, I think it's just a calling on my life and I think it's just um, um, something that God has put on my heart and uh, i've followed that and i've followed his leading and it's something that um, he's provided me the strength and the ability and the talent and the time and the treasure to do. And I just love doing it. Um, and I think that's how I get up every day and, and think about what we can do to improve the program, what we can do to improve access and utilization of services amongst those most in need. It's because I love doing it. Um, it's something I'm just so passionate about, and I think about it all the time. So,
1: Well, thank you for everything you do. <laughs> and before we go, I think it'll be important if people – Listen to this and say, oh, and in March uh, mm-hmm. or any March of any year, uh, I'm very interested in Daryl's uh, colonoscopy uh, Saturdays yes. at the James. How can they get involved? How can they get one of these colonoscopies?
0: The best thing to do is to talk with your health care provider and say, look, I know you want me to get colorectal cancer screening. Let's line it up in March aligned with what's happening at OSU for Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month and encourage your provider, whether it be nurse practitioner, physician assistant, or a doctor, to send a referral to us with that information of Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month screening Saturdays. Um, and usually I'll, do, I'll try to do my part and make sure that I make, you know, all the neighboring practices, out, even outside of OSU, aware of this opportunity uh, for particularly uninsured and underinsured individuals to take advantage of this opportunity.
1: Okay, so if anyone's listening, that's how you can become part of this pro- program and, and get to meet Daryl and his team.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely.
1: Thanks for sharing all this great information. Thank and, th- you. and thanks for the passion that you put out there every day.
0: Thank you. Thank you. And thank you to my team.
1: This podcast is brought to you by The Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solove Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.